Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Our guest today is actually a return. He came on about a year ago and has gone through a radical transformation. Actually, it was radical a good way to say it? Is is quite radical. <laughs> so he's gone through a huge transformation in his research just to show how much uh, can go different when you are a... Uh, academic. And so we're going to be speaking with Alan Del Pino today. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Alan Del Pino is a really well-established uh, friend of the show. Uh, he's been around us. He's been at parties. He's everything. Uh, so you come from the well-represented on the show uh, FIMS program. Yes, yes, I do. So tell us a little bit about what kind of work you're doing down at FIMS. Sure, yeah. So I, um, I'm doing a, uh, a cultural studies piece, which is uh, kind of funny because I started with uh, something very differently. And I'm kind of just investigating news articles from uh, 2013 to 2016 to see how uh, the issue of metadata has been represented to Canadians. Yeah, and so for many out there who might have been like you know following the news over the last few this is the same idea that's going on in the US with Prism and Edward Snowden and the idea of like not like the con like if i were to send somebody if i were to send alan a text message yeah it wouldn't and i said you know alan i really don't like the prime minister yeah it wouldn't have the text of me saying I'm the prime minister, but it would have the fact that I texted you at that time exactly. and my cell phone was here and your cell phone was there. And, and we talked for like a certain amount of time and, and you know, that, that maybe the, the, the device code for, your, for our phones would be there. So that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the, what is the calculus? It's like, what's the uh, trade-off we're doing between like, what can you do with metadata? Yeah. So, so often in the news, um, in the news media, uh, this this viewpoint is always perpetuated, or really perpetuated frequently that uh, that metadata doesn't matter. There's this famous statement. I think I don't know exactly who said it. It was someone in the Stephen Harper's uh, government, where he said uh, it's just metadata. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have significance. It's just and they often compare it to uh, looking at the information on the outside of an, of an envelope, like a, a regular snail mail envelope. So, but but privacy advocates are all like, hold on a second. Um, when you combine this information and you collect it in bulk, like what uh, the NSA does, for instance, and you uh, kind of analyze it in a large scale through looking at big data, you could tell large inferences, very detailed inferences about social connections, um, how people are related, how often they communicate. And uh, the idea is kind of, they propose that it's it's to help uh, safeguard the nation, but privacy advocates say that um, it's kind of infringing on people's uh, right to privacy. And so... You're looking at how this discussion played out on newspapers primarily, right? Yeah, totally. For in uh, the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, and the National Post. So those are kind of like we, we would call in the humanities, but that's the papers of record? <laughs> well, to, to be honest with you, um, the reason why I picked them um, are strong, is strongly because my advisor recommended them. So I'm not like uh, – I didn't individually pick them. But it's mainly because they have unique philosophical differences in how they represent news. Um, I won't be able to tell you what those are, unfortunately. Um, yet, but no maybe, problem. <laughs> maybe later. <laughs> and just pick them up from your newsstand and read them. Yeah, it's, just, it's not that hard to see the differences. Yeah, you, you could figure it out on your own. They make sense. They're big. They have different, they, as you said, they have different editorial positions. Yeah. Uh, they're not known for, like, 
they have high journalistic standards, so it's not yep. like you're going to get, like, it's not Breitbart. You're not going to get crank stuff. Totally, yeah. It's not like The Sun. And they're widely read so that they're, you know they'll be influential. Totally, yep. Yeah, that's very true. So what are you going to do with, uh, so what are you going to do in this uh, three-year period of newspapers? Okay, so, so I'm basically, this is a good, um, it's a good thing I met with my advisor today because I can explain, <laughs> I can explain to you this stuff. So um, I'm basically, look, I'm doing a, what's called a qualitative content analysis. So what that means is I read through um, a sample size of maybe over 100, maybe 120 news articles um, in order to see how different issues are represented to the Canadian public. Like, like for instance, how does uh, the prime minister stating X or Y how does that um, how does that statement reflect to the Canadian public uh, whether they should care or not about, for instance, uh, the transparency of national security agencies or like oversight of a national security agency? And then looking for trends based on um, all of the, the the little notes I make. Yeah. And so, like, could you possibly go through uh, like how you would process one of these articles? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is perfect because I just met with my advisor. So, so um, I would read through the news article hopefully once and then um i would go through it a second time and i would uh i would highlight you you could do it digitally or you can do it um analog i would highlight a text that 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 symbolizes something to uh the canadian public and then i would try to say i would try to think okay what does this text say like for instance um does this text suggest that canadians are inadvertently swept up into this surveillance network or is this something that just uh that is happening um is this like a program that has been that has been put in place by the government or is this like an accidental thing? So a trend might be, okay, well, surveillance does occur, but it, it's not something that we're intentionally trying to do. It's something that happens, for instance, by accident. So that could be a trend or, or, or adjectives like shadowy might represent uh, the program in a way that's more negative or roguish. And could you maybe suggest like what kinds of conclusions or what kind of interesting sure. information could come out of that yeah well like i guess um the whole idea of newspapers in a democratic society is that it's supposed to inform the public about the information that they need in order to make informed decisions um about a society or you know just as act if they want to get into activism or or if they want to determine how they vote um we need some mechanism that's put in place um that allows us to find out what the government's doing so basically Sorry, I, I lost the question midway. What's what's what can I gain from it? What's like the... what kind of like by looking at articles in this yeah. fashion? Yeah. What kind of information are you hoping to get out of the sure. whole the whole body? Okay, okay. So what am I trying to figure out? Um, the main thing I'm trying to figure out is should Canadians care about um the Canadian government, uh, basically using taxpayer dollars to survey Canadians nationally, and um, whether whether um government security agencies whether um i'm sorry i i got a bit lost i'm really tired so i apologize <laughs> whether whether like i want to find out who's right like how is the issue been represented to the canadian public do national security agencies are, are their position really is it really accurate when they say that um canadians shouldn't care about metadata um is that position accurate or is the position of uh privacy advocates accurate when they say that uh, metadata infringes on the right that we have to privacy in our communications so it's, I hope yeah. that answered the question. I'm sorry. If, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a difficult because that's like um, it's a hard thesis to yeah. uh, say yes or no to. It and and that's what's that's what's interesting to me. It's like the debate is so complex, and it's not not one person can be right. You know, mm -hmm. it, it can't it can't just be that we give up all our right to privacy. You know, 
And it can't just be that metadata, the collection of metadata by government agencies doesn't infringe on the on citizens' rights to privacy. Like there has to be some 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 conclusion that makes a bit more sense than you're right and I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 pretty complex and hard to figure out. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna blame that for my my weird answer. No problem. <laughs> It's kind of interesting because it, it lacks a lot of precedence. Like this is yeah. almost a very uniquely 21st century problem. Yeah. We've never produced more data on a given day than we do before. Or Absolutely. Do yeah. I, I think I read something in the news articles where, where the NSA collects something like over four Library of Congress. What's that really large library that they have? The Library of Congress. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Within a day or something like that with their electronic surveillance. So it's uh, it's kind of crazy when you think about it, how much data is being collected and stored about us. So where are they? So forgive me, I don't know yeah. much about metadata. No, it's okay. Um, so you, you mentioned cell phone data as one thing that they collect, but where do they get all this information from? Like is like like what what a, what a, my online presence or my electronic yeah. presence is being recorded by you know ceases. Okay, okay, so so there's this there's this interesting debate that happened recently where um, a bill was recently passed that basically let internet service providers and uh, telephone providers off the hook for um, giving citizen metadata or citizen data to police authorities. So it, it's it's the people that like Rogers Bell. Not to shout out Rogers and Bell as like bad companies, but it's like the 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 core companies we use to communicate with people in our basic communications. I mean, I mean, from what from what I know at this point, but 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 an interesting fact was that the NSA in the past, according to um, the Snowden revelations, they used to tap directly into the servers of like Google and Apple um, to collect data. But but those companies have said that we no, 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 that never happened. But um, Snowden was like, okay, well, this is a real thing. And it must be easier in Canada because uh, if anyone doesn't know, Canada has this weird propensity to have. The word cartel is not far off. What do, you, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, say if I was CSIS and I yeah. wanted to get all the cell phone records on every Canadian, sure. I'd have to work with three companies. Well, that's actually really interesting that you mentioned this cartel thing, because um, in some ways, based on the news articles I've read, um, there's less oversight in Canada for these agencies compared to the States or even Britain. So Canada, like some people have, have, have called it the wild, wild west of surveillance because uh, the oversight is super thin compared to the, the NSA. Yeah, this was in the news recently, right? Uh, recent, well, do, do you want to talk about the recent thing that happened about... Uh, yeah, it was, it was yeah. like this kind of um, yeah. realizing that there's no oversight kind of came up in the news recently. Yeah, so, so the big thing that happened recently um, within the past month was that um, CSIS, the domestic uh, spying agency, it came under fire because... Um, they were retaining the information that they collected on citizens uh, for it pretty much indefinitely. And in order to collect that information, they have to get like uh, court-ordered warrants. So the big scandal was that the judge who was responsible for issuing those warrants, he said, hold on a second. You guys never said that you're going to collect this information indefinitely and use it for analysis. You just said that you would co- collect it for a specific case. So um, it was recently revealed that within the past 10 years, CSIS has been just you know, scooping up this metadata and not being forthcoming to judges with the warrants that they use to collect it. It's pretty messed up. So does that mean that even if you aren't accused of a crime, even if you know somebody who might have been accused yeah. of a crime, they have some data on you? Absolutely. Like, like for instance, if you, if you for instance, uh, were involved in some kind of terrorist network or was he was your buddy, you know, you went to school with this guy, we went, we were both grad school friends and for some reason you just, you just heard, like you found out later that he's involved in Al-Qaeda or whatever. 
um, then you might be kind of scooped up into that network of surveillance and, and it's like indefinitely by CSIS. And I imagine that because there's so much data that a lot of the analysis is led to like kind of like machine learning algorithms, like, you know, artificial intelligences and stuff. And so uh, like that stuff, I'm not too sure about. Like, okay. That's just what I imagine what prism was. It, it, it probably like it, like it's not possible for one person to go through all that data on their own. So it's, it's, it's these super tech, you know, computer science dudes who are really good at math, which I'm not, <laughs> who probably create these things that um, find out a lot about people that may have nothing, like may have done nothing wrong, just being a friend to someone. So oh, oh. so there, there's been all of this uh, this data collection going yeah. on. Has there been, like, is there, a, is there a way to evaluate if there's been a tangible benefit to national security or even to just, you know, the average citizen uh, that would perhaps justify, you know, the activities that's gone on? So, so I have some cool statistics. Uh, the main thing that they'd use, they say, at least in America, about, you know, government surveillance, they're all like, we're doing this to fight the war on terror. You know, we need this information to help protect, uh, to prevent, like, to help our spies do their work or to help prevent future attacks across, overseas and things like that. Um, but, like, the, the the percentage of someone dying from a terrorist attack is, like, lower than someone dying from from being struck by lightning or like uh like a peanut allergy i think so it's it's a bit it's a bit odd when you think about it there's no like real tangible like here's the statistics this is how much we're helping you it's kind of just like fear-mongering in my opinion so then why is the state doing it then um i, I think it's because uh they want data <laughs> they, they want to be able to to make these inferences about people um but not exactly say what they're doing. You know, it's all this whole, it's this whole analogy of like, look at me, this is just the, the data on the outside of an envelope. It doesn't really matter. Like they, they try to make it seem like it's not significant, um, but it could tell lots about you. Like I read somewhere, I think it was in a white paper by um, the Ontario Privacy Commissioner, where it's like, if they have four different points of metadata, they can reveal lots of very detailed information about your personal life and your social connections. It's scary. Is CSIS also, like, one of the other big things that's coming up in the news a lot is the idea of how much companies are taking data from us, too. Yeah, totally. Uh, like Facebook or, like... Is CSIS buying that up as well? Uh, I'm not too sure. I wouldn't be able to comment okay. on that. And, and to be honest, I look more at, like, uh, I look more at like the Communication Security Establishment Canada, which is the, the foreign um, surveillance agency. And, and I look kind of, like, at how they may... Because, basically, they don't have to obtain warrants to collect data metadata on people because it's against like foreign entities but the problem is that like in the process of collecting data on foreign entities they sometimes collect data on canadians and um that information isn't always uh like they're supposed to just block out the canadian id and, and information about canadians but that doesn't always happen so it's a it's a very messed up situation it really seems like the wild wild west where people are just like doing whatever they want and uh nothing's really changing are you hoping to get some sort of awareness or policy changes out of this uh, honestly that that would be ideal but i'm not like as since i got to grad school i've become i guess less optimistic about how much i could change the world <laughs> and, it crushes the best of us yeah so i mean all all i care to, to find out is like should canadians care about these issues you know should should there be more transparency with government agencies that that we pay for you know like we support their activities uh, should more oversight happen? Um, and like, I just want to get to the bottom of this. Like, should people like have have certain positions been overrepresented? Like, have the position of the of CSIS been overrepresented? Of metadata doesn't matter, 
or has like the position of metadata matters by privacy advocates been more like prevalent and other trends, right? That come out of well, yeah, you were speaking a little bit about what uh, what kind of language that the surveillance uh, organizations are going. What about privacy advocates? What kind of yeah. language are they using? So um, I'm going to be honest. Privacy advocates are a bit more candid and they, they're, they're a bit more like they try to be a bit more revolutionary in their critiques. So often they, they, they say things like, um, it almost sounds conspiracy theoristy because you have like all of these channels, like the national security, like uh, national security channels or people who are in parliament saying, oh no, it's okay. We don't infringe on your privacy. Like we have, like, it's within the law that we can't target Canadians. So when you have like this message that's always coming across and then you have like one or two articles or not, it's not actually one or two, but much fewer articles talking about, um, how uh, the dangers of metadata collection, it kind of makes them look stupid and it makes them look like their opinion might not be valid because, you know, who is this privacy advocate compared to like large government organizations, right? So it's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy of, of uh, almost like blaming each other or defense, but, but, but it's, it's largely secretive, you know, like there's this huge veil of secrecy over what these agencies do and it's weird. You were talking a little bit about them spending a lot of our, taxpayer money yeah. can you tell us about the facility and everything yeah sure so um recently csic they they built a, a 900 million around that building which is uh which is located in ottawa and an interesting thing that i read in the news articles was that a lot of um a lot of companies they're now moving to the outskirts of ottawa or to the areas where um, old tech companies used to exist and they died out so you know other other uh government related agencies or whatever would move to those existing facilities because it's cheaper but CSIS or CSIC, they built this $900 million building, which is not visible on Google Maps, um, strangely enough, huh. um, in the heart of Ottawa. And it's like, what's going on here? Like 900 million taxpayer dollars and they have an annual budget of 400 million and they heart and then we get one annual report a year from a commissioner to, to, to state like what's been going. It's, it's very messed up to me. Yeah, it's uh, it almost like it does have a lot of rings of like prison, the prison program. Yeah. It's shady, man. Like, like, and I, and I don't, I, I hope I don't sound like a conspiracy theorist talking about this, but it's like privacy advocates are all like, we need more transparency. You can't just like tell us to trust you, and and we should take your word for it if we're paying for you, if you're 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 whatever you whatever you're doing. Well, like that's that's the whole point, right? Like, if an organization is really non-transparent, yeah, it's really easy for you to make conspiracies and assume the worst of yeah. And, and you know what? Like a lot of editorial and opinion pieces, they like mess up the facts, and that and that's like stuff that's published in the Globe and Mail and the National Post and the Toronto Star. And I think it's it's sad because you know these agencies don't want to tell you what's going on. There's this idea that that we're trading like uh, national security or, or privacy for national security, and um, there's no way to really know unless there's gr a greater dialogue, you know, between these agencies and the general public. And then like an interesting example of that is that. Uh, CSIC, they tried in the past, I don't remember what year it was, but they tried to like reestablish or build some credibility with the general public at the time of the Snowden disclosures. So they like let one journalist or a couple journalists into like their building and they to talk to their spies, but they didn't even say their names. They're like, we can't share our names and they can't, we can't really go into detail about what we do in the hopes that like that would reduce the scrutiny, but it didn't really help. It just made them look more shady. It makes me think of like the embedded journalists. Like, they, like, invited them to come along with them in the Iraq war in order oh. to make them not as critical in their news reports? Yeah, and then they would only show them certain things, and then, yeah, it's pretty, I don't know, man. It's depressing to me. 
<laughs> what is like, it with people in the humanities and going into topics that depress them? No, no, the topic is interesting, but like the like if 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 things are as shady as I think they are, then that's kind of depressing. But it's fun trying to find out if they're shady. So, so we were we were talking before we started about this uh, this thing called the Five Eyes that Canada yeah. is a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, where does metadata come into this? Because from my understanding, Five Eyes is kind of a a shared information network between uh, the U.S., Canada, Britain, Australia, and I don't remember all of them off the top yeah. of my head. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, what was the question again? What so, is... how does how does metadata come into this? Like, what do what exact is there any way to know exactly what the data like what's being shared among these, okay. these countries? So, so that's that's a good question, and um, there's this kind of like conspiracy theorist like view that's, <laughs> that's that's been published in the news, like the news in the news publication, like highly credible news uh, publications that like. Okay, Canada, the Canadian um, spy agency might say that we can't survey our own citizens, but like, can they just go to the NSA or to like uh, Britain or wherever to see to to get what what they get from us, like what they the, the information that they might obtain from Canadians? So that's kind of like this conspiracy theoristy view, but like, there's this other notion that like that they that defense and spy agencies have said where they're like. No, we're not allowed to do that. We don't spy on each other on each other's citizens. But but there's been many cases where it's like they're caught spying. Like Canada was caught spying on Brazil <laughs> and their mining network or something. And it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, it's it's hard to believe them. Essentially, yeah, it all goes back to that lack of you know transparency that we were yeah we were just talking about. Yeah, yeah, there's some really interesting periodization. I'm wondering if uh, you're going if you're interested in keeping an eye out because you chose 2013 to 2016, yeah, which gives you a good barometer because I can think of. Uh, the 2014 uh, terrorist attack on Ottawa. Yep. And also the changing of governments in 2015. Yeah, that, um, well, the main reason why I picked my periodization was because, like, 2013, the Snowden disclosures came out, and I wanted to see how the, the discussion changed over time to, to, to now, you know, but, but also because, um, surprisingly, not a lot of articles talked about metadata. So, like, there's only a hundred and something articles so far, including editorials, which I might cut out. And, like, this has only been represented a hundred times or so, and most of the articles are from 2013 to 2014. So it's almost like the conversation is dying out. So I'm like, like, you know, does it still matter? Should Canadians care? I don't know. Do you have any good books you'd recommend for them for anybody who would be interested in following this rabbit hole? Um, I, I don't have books, but I have like a couple authors that that people should check out. There's David Leon. He's a big like surveillance guy. Bruce Schneier. I can't spell it. He spells it weird, but just Google him. He's a surveillance dude. If you're listening, Bruce, you spell your name weird. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Sorry about that. Um, off the top of my head, those are the main the main ones. And if somebody wanted to keep in touch with the work that you're doing, yeah, is there a way that someone can get a, see what you're doing online or get in touch with you? Or um, you could. Uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable giving out my email. To be honest, do you have a Twitter? I, I have a Twitter, yeah. Did you it, use it for academic purposes? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't. No, I, I guess um, I reach out to Gradcast, the guys right. at Gradcast, and then they'll they'll get in touch with me. Forward a question. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so we only have two minutes left. What would you like? Should we ask you a nice question? What about? Yeah. Uh, you're doing an MA. Yeah. And what's your future plans? You, I know you've uh, no. You whip you, out you whip out the hard question. I know you've been fighting the PhD yeah. question, um, but so, but it'd be interesting to know like what kind of yeah. debate that has. Okay, so right now, right now, um, 
my project because it's a content analysis is not like super theoretically based it's just like what do i think based on trends that i see so i i I would be interested in like finding out more um theoretical background about you know surveillance whether people should care i guess the broader implications of that from like a more i guess like a a less empirical standpoint but more of like a theoretical so that would make me do a phd um but honestly, I don't have plans. I'm just a graduate student floating in the wind in, ex- mm. in an ex- existential crisis like my good friend Yimin Chen. Yes. <laughs> Yimin, Yimin, whenever you listen to this, this you're a you. goblin. All right. Let's, <laughs> uh, let's, 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 let's wrap this, this show up. Um, so I just want to let you guys know that GradCast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. If you are a grad student and you want to talk about your stuff on the show promise i won't call you a goblin um, <laughs> you can contact us at gradcastradio at gmail.com and of course every radio show gets turned into a podcast eventually and so if you want to get us not on the radio but in your phone you can go to gradcastradio.ca or gradcastradio.com or you can go and type gradcast radio into something go say hi to emma on twitter or facebook we're also on facebook yep and facebook and you guys Try to do something warm and fun because it is not looking pretty out there. Pumpkin spice lattes. Pumpkin spice lattes. You heard it here first. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.